So Adam, how do you pronounce your last name? Vass. Rhymes with ass. I definitely uh, got that one all growing up. <laughs> okay. Well, don't worry. Let's get the show on the road, you asshole! Tuesday Night Podcast. I'm Alan Gurdon, your host for this episode. This is the podcast all about the stories we make while playing the games we love on, around, and even under the gaming table. I'm talking board games, tabletop games, and with me I have a guest. The guest I have on the show today needs more of an introduction than uh, all my other guests I've ever had because with me I have Adam Vass. You are the guest with whom I have the least familiarity that I've ever had on this podcast before, which makes me really excited because I'm going to have to summon my inner Johnny Carson or my Howard Stern or my Bobble Waltas or... yeah. We're going to get to know each other and what we're about this episode. How's that sound? Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to skipping the line, going straight from knave to noble, too. I kind of cheated the system here. You're not the only one. I think most of our nobles <laughs> didn't spend the time to send in a knave to knight submission. <laughs> I like the idea that you should have a forced hierarchy. You have to get approval before you can get to the next level. But I also like having clearly subverted that system. We have been thinking about doing patches or enamel pins. Oh, I like that. Yeah. It's like real life leveling up. Yeah. Think of it like Girl Scout badges, brownie badges, that kind of thing. I don't know why I went with Girl Scout instead of... But anyway, (laughs) let's get to know Adam Bass, the man who I have no idea who you are. Yeah. I have a funny story for how I ended up on this show. I am friends with Jason Kotarski from Green Couch Games because he lives in Grand Rapids as well. And we met through a weird thing where he went to a punk show and he offered to trade games for a record. The person he made that offer to was the singer of another band I was in. And he goes, oh, do you know Adam? He lives in this town and he likes games. We kind of got set up on this gamer blind date where Jason and I had coffee (laughs) and hung out and got along really well. And then since then, I've done work for him at conventions. So I was at Gen Con for the last two years. I was at Origins. And I think it was Don, actually, who handed him a postcard about the Tuesday Night Podcast. Don is in Don Stroud, the contributor to uh, Mothership and also our lead booth squire. Very nice. I think he handed Jason the postcard as an invitation to Jason, but I was working the booth. So I saw the postcard in the back of the booth and totally sniped it from Jason (laughs) A month later, emailed the email address kind of blind and was just like, hey, I make games. Let's talk. But he didn't know I did that. (laughs) So that's why I haven't heard from Jason, huh? It's not that he's a son of a bitch. It's that you're a son of a bitch. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Okay. That's awesome. No, I love it. I'm very grateful. Adam, tell me about yourself. You are on the show as a noble because you are in the pool of game publishing and designing, from my understanding. I design and illustrate and self-publish all my own games, mostly role-playing games. I've done a couple card games. I I do really small print runs. Like I've done a game where I made 10 copies 
and I don't plan to make more than that. I never go more than a hundred, so like that is very cost prohibitive for a single person. It's sort of um, oh man, an experiment that I've been doing for almost two years. I'm pretty fresh to the game as well. Now, before the show, I tried to learn about you somewhat. So I Googled your name, and the first thing that came up was a graphic design site for Adam Vass with a really cool logo. Is that the same you, or is that some different designer? No, that's me. I'm actually surprised that that's the first thing that comes up, because my real-life career is I'm a touring musician, which is, you know, its own Pandora's box of interview topics. Absolutely. I am going to guess what kind of music you play. I'm going to say it's going to be on the heavier rock side, maybe even heavy metal. What type of music do you play? We play very emotive, heavy music, so I I don't think it would classify as metal. I definitely do like things that ride that line and into like a heavier spectrum, but we're not as heavy as that. So my, my band is called Law Dispute. I've been in that band since I was 19 years old, so 11 years. Oh, wow. Touring full-time, putting out records, that's my actual life, which is surreal. And games is sort of like a hobby that's come up in the last few years. How did graphic design come up with this? What, how did you dabble in art and become a graphic designer? It's sort of a crime of convenience when you're a teenager and you're in music where you need a record cover, you need a t-shirt, and you have zero dollars, so you figure out how to do it yourself. Your art's not bad, man. It's good. Thank thank you. It's really good. Convenience. I think you're probably just missing the talent and the amount of time and practice you put into that craft because I I think most people would wish they had as much talent. What website is that? That's is that AdamXVast.com? AdamXVast.com for my visual representation. So how did you get from music and graphic design into your own board games? What's the story there? So like I said, growing up in that music scene, you have to fend for yourself and like make your own niche, provide your own merchandise and design. And from doing that, I learned how to, I wouldn't say run a small business at all. That's definitely not what I learned, but where to go to have certain things printed or how to do small print. I learned screen printing and I would print our shirts in my parents' basement when I was a teenager, which I never thought back then would translate into making art and doing small press stuff at 30 years old now. So I guess the foundation of craftiness and DIY ethic, figuring out how to make things comes from the music scene, same as most of my sort of self-education in graphic design. I dropped out of college before I moved to Boston. I dropped out so that our band could tour. At the time, it was very scary. It was definitely just going off the diving board and seeing what happens. And it worked out. I imagine for many people, it doesn't. I'm very grateful that I made the right choice at the right time. But yeah, college dropout. So I'm living in Boston, and one of my roommates has Settlers of Catan, which is kind of my intro to games that aren't Sorry or Monopoly or whatever, like hobby games. The mass market usual games. And they played it actually every single day. We'd all come home, and then after dinner, we would play Catan. And if you won, you would write your name on the wall with Sharpie. Like We had this unfinished wall that didn't have any sightings, so we just wrote our names on it. And I never got on the wall. I never won a game. (laughs) But it was super competitive in a way that I didn't really like, where sometimes dudes would throw dice at each other. I saw someone cry once because they thought everyone was ganging up on them. It was really kind of toxic, but it was this cool introduction to me that there are other games. And I think 
everyone probably has that one game that introduces them to the culture that's beyond their childhood games. Absolutely. That gateway game. Yeah. Man, Cutthroat Catan. I've got to ask you something, Adam, before I interrupt the story, because I'm loving this story. It's a good one. (laughs) Cutthroat Catan, which in of itself should be a game. I like it. But did anyone ever use this line? You're so bad at Catan, more like settlers of Catant. Can't. can't, Oh, man, I guess that's not as good. In my mind, it sounded hilarious, but when it came out of my mouth, I regretted it instantly. It's one that I think you could work via text, and maybe when you say it out loud, it doesn't translate. But I follow you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, Catant. Competitive Catan. And you never got your name on the board, not once? Or was there one shining moment where finally you got onto the wall of honor? Uh, nope, I never got on it. I was content. I like, <laughs> I even as I play games now, and I think about this somewhat often when I play with my friends here, I don't really care about how the game ends, but it's more about the process of playing a game. And like you said a lot on the show, it's just about hanging out with people and having that interaction with other people. I live alone too, so sometimes I just need to talk to someone and maybe just talking about who has the longest road is enough social interaction for the day. from Settlers of Catan, this is the gateway into a whole bunch of other games. So continue on the journey, please, sir. Yeah, maybe a year or two after our Catan tirades start, I move back to Grand Rapids. I live now in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I'd been away for five years, so I didn't really know anybody anymore. I didn't have a lot of close friends here. And our local comic book shop, which is called Vault of Midnight in Grand Rapids, would do events where... There's one cool venue downtown that has pinball machines and drinks and stuff, and they would do board game night there. Every January, they team up with this Belgian-style brewery in our city called Brewery Vivant. It has stained glass windows. It's in this old church building that they've made now into a nice brewery. So every January, they have people playing Dungeons & Dragons for one night at the brewery. And the first time I went, I had never played Dungeons & Dragons before. I had kind of a vague interest in doing so growing up that was kind of the last vestige of nerd culture that i like didn't really touch was fantasy stuff i was into comic books and wrestling and but for whatever reason fantasy was across some invisible line for me and then now at 27 i came back to grand rapids and i was like i'll dip my toes and see what happens got really into dungeons and dragons where even one year later, I went back to that event as a teacher and was teaching people how to play. And now I go back every year, dress up and have a group of strangers, usually who have never played Dungeons and Dragons before, run a one night campaign with me. And it was very transformative. I met a lot of friends through that culture too. And then all of the staff at the comic book shop became close friends of mine as well. So that was a very eventful year where you dipped your toe in and the infection set in quick. Yeah. And within a year, you're a total role-playing zombie. The night that we learned how to play, then three months later, I'm teaching my band how to play, and we played it on tour in the bus. A couple months after that, I wrote my first hack. It was a custom setting. It wasn't a fantasy realm. It was alternate history Prohibition-era Chicago that had fantasy elements to it. mobsters and drug running and weird early electricity too like it was after the tesla edison wars which i probably spent a month on it on tour so just in the bus every day riding for four to five hours 
Holy shit, so this is something like Boardwalk Empire, Electrical Fantasy in Chicago, Speakeasy, Booze Baron Essay. <laughs> this is incredible. Can we get a hold of this nowadays? Yeah, I don't think even I have a copy. I don't even know where the files are at this point. I think it's just lost to history. Wow. But was that the taste? Was that the whole thing where you realized, I can do this? Yeah. Is this Because I'm guessing now, and I'm probably shortcutting, and I shouldn't. I should let you unfold the story as it should be told instead of jumping to the end, which, by the way, my significant other does all the time. We'll be watching a movie, and she'll ask me, oh, does this mean that he's actually it? Is it his brother? His brother's been living in the wall, and, and his mom's still alive? Is, is that what's going on? I'm like, I haven't seen this movie either. Just watch the movie. I'm watching it with you. But go on. Yeah, I don't want to do that to you. I, I don't want to crystal you. Her name's Crystal. <laughs> so the next design challenge that I took on was I designed a card game for fans of our band. We were doing this like Loot Crate style subscription. So every month they would get an item in the mail. And I was trying not to do like records and t-shirts. I wanted to do something special and different. So we did coffee with a coffee cup that had our brand on it. And we did book one month. But for the finale, I had this idea to make a card game. I had never made one, but I just kind of figured that I could. Touring life is super, super polar, where if I'm on tour for six months out of the year, that means six months I'm at home and I don't have anything to do. So I have this privilege of free time where I can just make a card game because I think I can and I don't have to budget the time for it, which is like a really strange privilege to get. Wow. Yeah. It's like the superpower of being a rock star. You get the fans, you get the parties, and you get the free time to do what the ever hell you want to. I'm super jelly because my full-time gig as a teacher keeps me occupied all week long, which means all of my game design and convention going and anything else game-related, especially playing, it's pretty much always on the weekends Friday through Sunday. In fact, if you meet me and you're not my student, chances are really great that we're meeting each other on the weekend away from my daily job responsibilities. So, I, I hate to ask this because it's none of my damn business sure. and you can totally tell me to shut up if you want to, but your band has to be pretty successful that you regularly are having six months tours and it allocates enough of a living that you can not tour for six months? Yeah, it's Is a, that right? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> it, the band does well. It was sort of this frog in boiling water thing where when I was 19, we would just play on the weekends before we dropped out of school and it was a pet project. And then one day, I don't know when it was, but maybe five years later, it was my job and I never really saw it happening. Because for those first few years, we didn't make any money. We would play a show and get 50 bucks to put in the gas tank and drive to the next show. Or we would be cooking canned beans on a camping stove behind the van because we couldn't afford food. And I don't know when it happened because it was so weird and gradual. But by 2012, maybe, I was actually getting paid a wage to tour. There was also a time probably 2011 until 2014, where we would tour a lot more. Wow. And during that time, I like didn't have stuff or an apartment or anything. I wasn't paying bills. I would come home and like crash on somebody's couch or live in the attic for a month, and then I'd leave again. So all that money that I made was going into just savings and 
at a certain point, it was enough that I could sustain. That sounds way too responsible to be some type of rock star, Adam. (laughs) I Uh, just, I made this money and I saved it while I lived on someone's couch. What is the name of your band? uh, The band is called La Dispute. L-A, new word, dispute. We have a new record that's going to come out early next year. It's been four years since our last record came out, which is pretty atypical in the music scene. Usually you're supposed to do one every two years. Hopefully that break will mean people are more excited for it. And instead of that break, meaning people forgot about us. But we've been pretty active for the last 10 years plus. We have a pretty dedicated fan base and I haven't had to worry about my life (laughs) since that kind of picked up. Adam, besides merch, what is your responsibility in the band? I play bass. Nice. The bass player. Yeah. The other question I have, which is usually a question I find really interesting anytime I talk to anyone who's ever been any type of a band, whether successful or not, how the hell did you come up with the name Law Dispute? It's named after a French stage play, which I've never seen or read, but the band was named before I was in it, actually. They kind of existed for a year or two before we met and I joined the group. Was their previous bass player some irresponsible person that wouldn't put their band earnings into a savings account while they lived (laughs) on someone's couch? He quit so he could go to law school. So I think it's the opposite. I think he's the most responsible. (laughs) I love it. This is crazy to me. You, through this band, have to learn how to handle merch and subscription services. You, through this whole touring, you have this free time, you start dabbling in a card game. So getting back to the story, you decided to design a card game for your loyal fans. And I'm assuming where this is going, sorry to crystal this, (laughs) you realize, oh my goodness, I could just start a game company of some sort. Totally. Go on, sir, continue. (laughs) Uh, So the card game is called Carter Harmonies. We have a song on one of our records called Harder Harmonies, and I couldn't resist the play on words there. So there's a card in the box for every song we'd ever released up till that point, and you use the songs to make set lists. The set lists are in chunks, which is how we actually write set lists when we perform for tours. So we'll say, we need three songs here, we need five songs here, or we just played a heavy song, maybe we should play a slower song. Stuff like that, that I mechanized and put into the game. So each of the cards has a suit, which is what record it's from. It has a symbol for whether it's heavy or soft. Some of them have symbols if it requires a different instrument, like a synthesizer or acoustic guitar. There's extra cards for those sort of things. And then a number value, which is how much applause that song is worth. So our more popular songs get higher points. You arrange them in such a way to get the most points. It's a one or two player game. I actually, getting ready for this, listened to your episode talking about solo games. And you mentioned Onarim was one of my design inspirations. It works somewhat similar to Onarim where you're putting certain cards in certain places and you want to match certain things. How'd it go? I mean, did people love it? Did they say, hey, this game plays and I enjoy it. Good work. Yeah, it was interesting, too, because I knew this being the first game that I published, I knew that because we had 750 people on our subscription, that 750 people would be buying this game without even knowing what they're buying. So there was like no risk for me at all. 
in terms of production. Those people seemed excited, which was great. And they seemed happy to get something they never expected that was cool. As opposed to something different than a shirt and a poster or an album cover. They're like, oh, this is novel. This is cool. You're keeping it fresh. Yeah, and that's part of marketing. I like it. So I didn't see any like negative stuff about it, which is great. I probably wouldn't have handled it super well at the time, it having been my first game design. I was very fragile. Right. There's a little bit of the silent majority. You're only hearing very specific feedback from the people that are passionate enough to respond. But the average person doesn't have enough passion to say anything. So silent majority effect. You're only hearing the sweet without the sour. And I don't mind hearing a little bit of sweet, you know. From that experience, I was very much emboldened to continue to make games. After that, I got into writing RPGs because it was a little less costly. Because you're just publishing a book and everything else, dice and the actual story is up to the player to make it happen. Adam, this is where I'm going to cut in. So you're saying it's cheaper to make a role-playing game than it is a card game. Oh yeah, that was a major factor. As one person who ships all of my games from my bedroom, I don't have any distribution. I don't have any presence anywhere except for my own website. The cost of printing a book... And storing a book in my house is much less than a card game or, or definitely a component game. Questions. Adam, you're doing this through a subscription service, yes? Now I am. As of this spring, started doing games on a subscription through Patreon. Patreon. How's Patreon going? And how much does someone have to pay on a Patreon basis in order to get your latest and greatest games? Most of the games are on postcards, so it's like a 5 by 7 postcard. The A side will have artwork that I did, and the B side will have the game rules, but then there's enough space on it that I can put an address and a stamp on it and drop it in the mail, so it doesn't cost me that much to ship it to someone. Oh, cool. And it's been this really interesting design restriction, too, to write a whole game that fits in 5 inches by 5 inch space. And every once in a while, I'll do a zine format, or I'll do a little bit more involved thing, just kind of as a surprise. Like, I have a game coming up in November that's a boxed card game, but it's a role-playing game that I'm actually printing through a sponsor of yours, The Game Crafter. Oh, whoa, you said the magic word, The Game Crafter. Hold on one second. (laughs) Let me hit this button. Sponsors, yay! Thank you for sponsoring us. Send us free stuff or money, and we'll talk about your stuff, but only if we like it. (laughs) Ha ha ha! It's hilarious because you said one of our sponsors. It's our only sponsor right now, Adam. It's your favorite sponsor. So tell your Game Crafter story. I want you to be totally honest. Don't hold back. Go on. So my first game that I published that wasn't band related was called Snow Day. And it's a tile laying, roll and move kind of competitive filler game. And I sourced everything from different places. So the game board is a screen printed piece of fabric that I had friends of mine in Grand Rapids print at their print shop and I'd order the cards from one place and the boxes from another place and I used the game crafter for all of the components so the meeples and slider things that you use to keep track of your character's temperature um, that kind of clip onto the cards oh nice so they send me this big old plastic bag full of meeples and a big old plastic bag full of these little clips and I just sit and watch Kill Bill 1 and 2 and I count four purple meeples four red meeples whatever for hours and just package all of this myself in these little plastic bags and put them in the box and everything. I didn't have anything custom printed through the Game Crafter. I just ordered pieces. 
but they were the best cost pieces, especially for ordering 400 meeples, you know, not thousands and not (laughs) a couple. It was this kind of sweet spot. This game that's upcoming, it's called Tranquil Coast Bed and Breakfast. So you take turns playing as this proprietor of a bed and breakfast in a fantasy world. Like a... Whoa, 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 whoa. I should have... Whoa, 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 whoa. Sorry, Adam. Sure. I think this is the time. I think it's time for the elevator pitch, I just realized. (laughs) Because you just said bed and breakfast in a Dungeons and Dragons setting. That's too perfect. So this is another (laughs) one of your games that you totally designed. Yes. So we have to come up with a character for you. Now, is there a character that you usually do? Um, I don't know if I have any like real people characters, but my Dungeons and Dragons character who recently died and is one of the playable characters in the Bed and Breakfast game, uh, his name was Bruce Steenspring. I was him for <laughs> over two years, so I have his voice pretty well down. I could do it in character as Bruce. Are you ready to do it as Bruce? You have 60 <laughs> seconds to explain the soul of the game. Are you ready, sir? I am ready to go. Ding me, SPJ. So, uh, when you're out adventuring and you've kind of spent all your energy, you need a place to go. So you go to the Tranquil Coast Bed and Breakfast. It's this fine little place on the beach. The airships fly right on over it. All types welcome elves, goblins, orcs, humans, anything you can imagine. But the old man or the old lady there, they need a little bit of help. It's kind of up to the guests to lend a helping hand, make sure everybody's happy at the end of the day. You take turns doing nice things for each other, exchanging tokens that are left on the table in an effort as a group to get five-star rating on the fantasy equivalent of Yelp. The tokens left in the middle of the table (laughs) are your score out of five at the end of the game. It's a role-playing game that takes about an hour or two for three or four players and uses 18 cards and a hook box printed by the Game Crafter. I love it. (laughs) So this one is all through the Game Crafter then? Is that what I just heard at the end? Yeah, so it's an 18-card game, and it comes in the hook box that the Game Crafter, I don't know if they invented it, but they're definitely like rocking it, where you print the rules inside the box and then you unfold it, that's the rule book, and it saves you a little bit of space and a little bit of cost. I'm always amazed at how many components they keep on coming out with, including nowadays, they even have custom dice. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that's on my list. (laughs) I think we shilled them enough, and I didn't even tell you we were going to totally shill the Game Crafter. Adam, Tranquil Coast Bed and Breakfast. It's a role-playing game, you said? It's a role-playing game, so I'm very much of the school of Apocalypse World and story-driven role-playing games instead of mechanically crunchy stuff. Nice. So a lot of the games I make are borderline thought experiments. You inhabit the role of a character, which to me is kind of the definition of a role-playing game. The conflict is different than what you would expect in a Dungeons and Dragons or a Warhammer or Pathfinder. I like to write emotional games. And this specific game was me thinking, what is the exact opposite of a war game? If D&D is kind of derivative of war game culture, what is the peace game? And it is a game about doing nice things for people for no reason. That's awesome. There are cards that have scene prompts. So when it's your turn to act as the proprietor of the bed and breakfast, you draw a card from a deck that gives you two choices on what your scene is about. While this is happening, all the other players take one of the character cards at random. 
sometimes they are the source of the conflict for the proprietor. Sometimes they're a source of help for a proprietor who is less physically able to take care of certain tasks. Then everybody has tokens that over the course of the game, you're either giving to one another or putting into a center pile or taking from the center pile, depending on what actions you do during the scene. You just want to have a certain number of tokens in the middle at the end of the game to show that everyone did nice things for each other. So what's the end objective here? How do you say like, we played well or that went awful? This game has a finite number of scenes. So each player performs three scenes as the proprietor. So over the course of the game, everyone playing inhabits the same role. And your goal is to keep your business going. But there's a mechanic in the game where you can make choices that benefit other people, but maybe don't benefit you financially as a business owner. So this is so bizarre to me. This is the fascinating thing I'm trying to wrap my brain around. It's a role-playing game, but yet there's points involved. So at the end, do you declare a winner? The points are shared amongst everyone. So you either succeed or lose together. I guess I wouldn't use the word losing. It's the number of points you have at the end is how successfully you treated each other with kindness. But you could take this game and totally destroy it and be that kind of person who wants to break the game. And I have been that person too, so I totally get it. Where you do shitty things to each other and you get a zero out of five and like that would still be a fun game to play. It's like a comparison chart, I imagine. There's plenty of games that have a comparison chart where it says, well, this is how many points you got. And then the next time you play, you compare it to those points and how does it express itself? Am I crazy in thinking that, that it's kind of this, you just compare points and stories and how you got there? Yeah, that's accurate. I'll bring up another game I made that kind of has a similar lack of win-loss. Uh, I have a role-playing game for one player called All We Love We Leave Behind, which is named after a Converge record of the same name. And I did get permission from the band, which was a very big, cool thing. They're kind of a legendary, like, hardcore metal band that I grew up loving and got permission to use the album title as my game title. So congrats, sir. That was a benchmark for me. In this game, you are someone who has been left by someone who answers a call to action. So going back to D&D as kind of everyone's touchstone for a role-playing game, you're going on a quest and you're doing X, Y, and Z on your quest, but you have to leave the place that you're from to do those things. In this game, you would play that person's spouse or child or student or someone who would be very much affected by their absence. Oh, wow. And you write letters to send to them. And then it uses a playing card mechanic to kind of randomize things that happen in your life that you then write about. And it also has to do with the passage of time. So you don't write the next letter 10 minutes later. You have to wait a calendar day or two calendar days to write again. Are you talking actual calendar days where you're playing this game? Wow, that's so immersive, man. That's brilliant. Yeah, I want it to be like you don't get a letter right away. You know, you send it through the mail and so you have to wait. It's mechanized in a way so that As the game goes on, you have to wait longer and longer between the letters. I write in the book, you might want to like set a timer on your phone or a reminder because you might forget. But part of the game is also you might forget. And that's kind of the charm. That's part of it. Right. That's part of the brilliance is that slowly but surely you are removed from 
the buy-in and that's the whole message exactly all we love we leave behind so you're losing touch with that which you originally loved is you're just losing touch with yourself it's so it's so meta and powerful in a way it, that's it's crazy man how come i've never heard of this before i don't know i printed 50 copies last year and it was the only game of mine that's ever run out of print and then i printed more but you know 50 copies in the world of gaming is not that many so adam shut up take my money (laughs) all right this is where i cut in and we get to the point first of all you decided to go solo you played the settlers of catant and (laughs) your name never got on the wall you're traveling through the band you had to start merch and he looked into producing things you discovered the game crafter after you decided you're going to start your own game company what the hell's the name of your game company how do i buy in and is this game company a subscription service just like it was for your fan base for your band law dispute so what's the name of the game company so my brand is world champ game co it's just me behind the scenes and my website is worldchampgame.co This logo is sick, dude. Did you come up with this logo? It is sick looking. I actually hired someone for it. I knew I wanted it to be a championship belt. Like I mentioned very briefly earlier that I was into wrestling growing up and that's still very much, I'm a big wrestling fan, professional wrestling. And I wanted that to be kind of the icon. So I knew I wanted it to be a championship belt. I had a graphic designer in Chicago named Ryan Troy Ford draw the actual logo that I use. The website is worldschampgame.co because I love a good vanity URL and it it just worked right. And there you can learn about all of the games that I publish and there's a store there so you can order from me and I will pack the order and send it off because it's just a one person operation. And all of my card games, all of my like bigger role playing games that are in paperback form are available there. Whereas my subscription service, which is patreon.com slash worldchampgameco. That's where I'm doing my monthly RPGs that are typically shorter. That's where the Tranquil Coast Bed and Breakfast game is going to be launched in November. I imagine I'll also have leftovers from the print run that I'll sell in my normal store. But for $3 a month, you get a role-playing game in the mail every month. Sometimes they vary pretty widely between like thought experiments and philosophical games to just kind of fun, throwaway, hidden role games, and then spans everything in between as well. Adam, this is amazing. I definitely want all we love we leave behind. So simplify it for my attention deficit addled mind. How do I get specifically all we love we leave behind in a print fashion? Is it only in print and play? Or can I get one of the classic type versions that you made originally? Yeah, it's um, available as a soft cover, six by nine book, available at my website, worldchampgame.co. I still got it in print. Now I keep it in print pretty regularly because it is one of my more popular games. I've also learned a lot about people who maybe don't play games, but enjoy that as kind of like a creative writing exercise or something that they could use to sort of supplement another game, a role-playing game that they're playing. It's kind of served a really different function from its initial design, which I think is awesome. Yeah, that game and most of them are still available at the website. Adam, you have so many games. Yeah, I feel like there's so much I didn't even touch on. I know, it's ridiculous that we ran out of time already because there's so many games here, but you have this rich idea because it is not every day that 
Oh my God, protest singer's art is sick, by the way. <laughs> I'm looking at this website. Who came up with the protest singer art? So I hired a comics illustrator named Sally Cantorino, who I knew from touring. I would play in Florida where they lived at the time, and we met from them being a fan of the kind of music that we play. And I continued to follow their work when they got involved in the comics industry. And then I got to a point where I thought I could maybe pay someone else to make artwork for one of my games. And I just took the leap. And they were one of the first people I thought of. So it just worked out awesomely. And they did such a great job with that game. It it perfectly matches the tone I was going for. Damn it. This whole site is gorgeous. This is a collector's wet dream right here because it feels so indie. It feels indier than all the, like, I consider Tuesday Night Games to be an indie game company because it's just myself and Sean, and we have our own website. We release through Amazon.com, Two Rooms in a Boom, Russian Roulette, That's Not Lemonade, etc. But man, this is like indie indie <laughs> my goodness, man. And I think there's a lack of that in board gaming because of the cost of entry or like the barrier of entry for distribution and printing and all that stuff but because i have this self-education from the music community like it really translates to a cool thing that i can do with games i think the other hurdle that you're having is that you're in this weird niche where it's this game structure that is so unique it's not just role-playing games that other people think of as role-playing games it's not just card games like the average person thinks of card games it's ridiculous that you're finding this weird nebulous area of what games could be and might venture into i'm geeking all over you i just can't wait to get on this so i'm going totally going to patreon and this excitement is legit i can't wait to try this and start writing myself letters oh, it's awesome man. i love it <laughs> No, it's so cool. Adam, you're such a... Anyway, Adam, if they want to stay in touch with you... I have um, an Instagram that I am fairly active on, like at World Champ Game Co. And I'm also on Twitter, which I try to use, but I don't have very much traction there, which is WC Game Co. because the normal name was a bit too long. I do use the Instagram one quite often. We, Tuesday Night Games, were on all those formats. Our primary one is Twitter, at PlayTKG. But if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or you want to be knighted, send in your emails to podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. I think with that being said, we should just bring you on the show another time, Adam, so we can talk about more of these. I would love to. Man, I want to play some of these things so I can just ask you questions about how you came up with some of this stuff and how's it going. And maybe I'll even be able to talk about all we love we leave behind. Here's what I want. Before we go, I want to perhaps make an active plan to play some role-playing games with you at a show in the future. Because you said you know Don Stroud. He's one of our main role-playing guys. I love role-playing. Sean, maybe we could play some Mothership sometime at another convention. I would love to. I picked up the book at Gen Con, and I haven't got to play it yet, so it would be awesome to play it with you all. So what shows are you going to be at? Where can we find you in person? I just did Grand Con, which is this pretty small convention in Grand Rapids, and that might be it for me for a while because the new Law Dispute record is going to come out early next year and I'm going to be grinding again when that comes out so I'll be on tour every other month for most of the year probably. Damn it. What about Origins? I'll have to check out my tour schedule and how it lines up with convention schedule which is like a new problem I've never had since 
my gaming life is so young and the touring thing has been on hiatus for a little while. This will be the first time I have to find that cross section, but I'm going to make it happen for sure. Adam, I'm so glad you came on the show. I'm really excited to check out your stuff. I'm excited at the potential for us gaming together in the future. If you're going to go to a con with Jason Katarski and hang out in the Green Couch Games booth, we're going to have to try to poach you and get you over to the Tuesday night games booth. Yeah, like Maybe that. not during the show, <laughs> but at least afterwards and steal you away to at least try some of this shit. It sounds amazing. I think... With that being said, we need to shut up and end this, baby. Let's do it. This episode is... Finished. Yeah, Bruce! of the Tuesday Night Podcast. Quick shout out. Thanks to our sponsor, thegamecrafter.com. Thank you to Adam Vass for coming onto this show. Thank you to his band, La Dispute, for sharing some tracks. Also, I want to thank Converge, the awesome band that allowed Adam Vass to write a role-playing game based upon the title of one of their songs, All We Love We Leave Behind. And thank you most of all to you, the knaves, knights, and listeners alike. How can you support the show? Good question. Here's your answer. Review us on iTunes, give us a whole bunch of stars, and tell people to come our way, share us on social media, but also support those nobles that come onto the show. So check out Adam's Games, worldchamp.co. All right, I'll shut up. Thanks for listening. Bye.